You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Let's pray. Father, so much truth upon us right now, and so much truth, I pray, within us right now. And I pray, Lord, that as we hear these words that are true, we would believe. And Lord, in the midst of our temptation to doubt, then faith, Lord, takes over. In the midst of our temptation to be discouraged, Lord, faith takes over, belief takes over. In the midst, Lord, of temporal pain, God, faith, truth, belief takes over. Oh God, I pray that we would understand just why we live and how we are to live, Lord, and for what we live as well. Oh God, may we be so encouraged, Lord. That's the, that's the goal and that's the reason these truths are written. And so we pray to you, again, declaring our thankfulness and our love to you. Continue to speak to us, Lord. You hold us so close and so near, and I pray so dear, and that your children right now understand. My God is awesome. My God is true. My God is light. My God loves me. My God is for me. And so soon, my God will be coming back for me. What glorious, glorious encouragement. What a glorious guarantee. And the reason we continue to meet, continue to sing, and continue to learn now from your word and truth. I pray this in thankfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Greetings, church. So good to see you. Why don't you grab a Bible and open it up to uh, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, and we are entering into story time again. And today is a story of stewardship. Today is a story of stewardship. Now, Stewardship is a very important concept for the Christian life. Stewardship really is such an important lesson for the Christian life. What you need to understand, this is so important, is that maturity in Christ and stewardship in Christ cannot be separated. So make sure you hear that right off the bat, okay? So maturity in Christ and stewardship in Christ, you don't separate those two things. You don't grow in Christ and leave stewardship behind for Christ. You can't do that. If you're truly growing and walking in the knowledge and life of Jesus Christ, then maturity and stewardship is also coming along with you. That's just the way it goes. It's what the Bible teaches, as we'll see today. This is just true and good theology. As one goes, so goes the other. Now, before we get any further, I want to make sure that we're on the same page as it pertains to stewardship, because I want to make sure that we understand what we're talking about as we open up God's Word together. I looked at several definitions this week of stewardship. I landed on this one, this one I preferred from Ron Blue, as one to guide us as we go through of what it means to be a steward of Jesus Christ. And here's the quote from Ron Blue. He said this, he said, Stewardship is taking God's resources, we've got to make sure this is clear today too, Taking God's resources, which is time, talent, yes, treasures we see today, but it's more than that, time, talent, treasures, relationships, and influence, and using it for the purposes of God, and here's the reason why, because everything I have has come from Him. This is what it means to be a steward of God. We're taking what He has entrusted to us, time, talent, treasures, opportunity, my life, the influence He's given to me, and seeking to use it for his purposes because everything I have from the beginning has been his that's been granted to me anyways. The last part of that definition is what's most critical in our theology. It says, everything I have comes from him. So the basis for mature biblical stewardship begins at the beginning, as in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. Who created? God created. So a translation for that verse is understanding. In the beginning, God made it clear. God owns everything. God owns it all. Everything I have, everything that I might be tempted to boast in, ultimately, is the Lord's to begin with. The food in my fridge, the money in my bank, the health that I have, everything I see in this world, God owns it all because in the beginning, God created. Not you, not me. God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, So God owns everything. 
Therefore, no one else can claim ownership of that which has been created by God alone. Again, who created? God created. So the application then, if God is the owner, we become then the stewards. And as a steward, we must understand this, the steward is not an owner. But a steward is responsible for managing that which has been entrusted to them by the owner. So as men and women saved in Jesus Christ and unbelievers in general as well, we have been entrusted, we have been given a life from God and now our calling is we are to steward our lives for the glory of God. So loved ones, right now just take some inventory. Within our lives we've been given time. We've been given talents before the Lord. We've been entrusted with treasure which is not our own. We've been given opportunity in this life. We've been given influence over others. And the call then is that we must steward them as gods. In fact, the Bible makes it clear at the end of our lives, we will be held accountable as to how we have used that which has been entrusted to us by God who's owner and us who's steward. Make sure you understand that right from the beginning. Right, 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 right now. You and I, we will be held account in some form as to how we have handled that which God has entrusted to us. And because this is true, and it is true, because God owns and because we are stewards, because we'll be held account as to what's been entrusted to us, this is why Jesus took so much time to explain the value, the importance, and the blessing of stewardship. And as we go through our text today, remember this. Jesus is the one who spent more time on money or stewardship than he did on heaven. Jesus is the one who spent more time telling stories and giving instructions pertaining to money than he did on hell. Jesus is the one who out of 39 parables recorded in the Gospels, Out of 39 parables, 11 of them deal with stewardship or money. So just think about that. 39 parables, 28% of the stories that Jesus told dealt with this theme of stewardship or the resources, specifically money, that God has entrusted to his people, not including all the other exhortations and commands that Christ gave as it pertains to money as well. Now, some of you recall that in this series already, in fact, in week number two, we had, let me tell you a story of wealth. And some of us are still feeling the conviction from that a month and a half ago. You might be saying, wait, 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 so we're back on this topic already? Like already again? Now, listen, I say to you and I plead, I plead is here, don't shoot the messenger again, all right? What choice do I have? What choice do I have? These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. But here we are again, and Jesus comes back. There's new stuff here today for sure. But Jesus essentially, he is returning to this issue of the heart. And apparently, loved ones, Jesus has more to say to us than maybe we even think that we need to hear. And Jesus seems to understand that this issue is going to be very close to our hearts. And therefore, he tends to repeat himself and to come back because he understands that for where our treasure is, there will be our heart also. And so he has another message for our heart today because in the end, that's what it really comes down to. He keeps bringing it up because Jesus wants our heart. So here we go again. Let me tell you a story of stewardship, of stewardship. And I I will be honest with you, I'm very excited. Luke chapter 16, verse 1 says this. He also said to the disciples, probably not the 12, probably the gathering of a larger group of his Disciples, Jesus said to them, There was a rich man who had a manager, a steward. In the Greek, manager is steward. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So the rich man called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager or a steward. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master has taken the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do. I've got it, he says, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write down 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. Verse eight. The master commended the dishonest minister for his shrewdness. 
For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And Jesus said, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now, I'm sure we have a lot of questions for sure, but right off the bat, let's get some clarity in this amazing passage. Here is point number one. Here's the observation number one. It's a stewardship of foolishness. The first thing we see is a stewardship of foolishness. So for that, look at verse 1 again. So Jesus tells this parable, and he says, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And so he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So here we have a manager or a steward employed by a rich man who is called to steward the rich man's possessions or his household. Now the problem, as we clearly see here, is that this manager was a very poor steward. He was, the text says, wasting his owner's possessions. The owner somehow realizes this, and then he calls the manager to account regarding his misuse of his possessions. Now what becomes clear within this parable is that the manager is without excuse because the rich man fires him and then he asks him to surrender his accounts or to surrender the books that ultimately belong to the rich man. Now as we examine this parable, as we do this thus far, the application that I want us to see right away, and it becomes very clear, as this pertains to a parable that Jesus is telling to his disciples that they might gain and learn from of what it means to be a good steward in the eyes of God, the application that is clear right from verses 1 and 2 is this, that all will have to give an account of what God has entrusted to them. All people have been entrusted by God with life, with opportunity, and yes, with God's resources. And the time will come where the rich man, so to speak, will enter into our lives being God, and he will ask us to give an account for what we have done with that which has been entrusted to us by him. Have we been wasting it, or have we been using it for his glory? The time will come when we have to give an account for the opportunity of this one life we have that is really to be used for him. The Bible is very helpful for us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. Let me put them on the screen for you here, and I will read this for you as well. And Here's what it says in regards to believers. This is for believers, okay? Those saved by grace through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Every other foundation other than Christ will crumble. It will not last. There is only one name by which we may be saved. It's Jesus Christ. Only the gospel carries us from death to life. There is one foundation. Any other foundation we live on, again, it will not last. It will crumble. Paul says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation of Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, what he's saying is here, each one's work will become manifest for the day, capital D day. For the capital D day, when Jesus Christ returns, when he returns, it will disclose what we've done with what's been entrusted to us because it will reveal by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So what's going to happen is when Jesus Christ returns, all believers will have to give an account. And if our things have been done for him and in him and been used wisely, we will find it's gold, silver, or precious stones. Things that have not been laid on the foundation of Jesus Christ for ourselves in the world, wasting his possessions, they'll be wood, hay, or straw. The fire will come upon it all, the Bible says, and the fire will test it. Wood, hay, and straw will be burnt up. It won't last. But gold, silver, and precious stones, they will survive the testing of the fire and a reward will be given for all of us who have used our opportunity in the building up of God's kingdom with gold, silver, and precious stones. The things we have wasted away, they will be for naught. Look what the text says. He will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. 
He has not, she has not used her opportunity the way that God would want them to. Careful here, careful here, Paul's clear. Though he himself will be saved. This isn't losing your salvation. But this is maximizing the opportunity that God has entrusted to us as believers, but only as through fire. You're not losing your salvation by wasting your opportunity, but it will indicate an impact in some way, the reward that is handed out to believers as only Jesus Christ can do. How does that all work? I'm not sure, but the Bible's clear. A reward will be given, and if we don't use our opportunity in Jesus Christ with time, talent, treasure, influence, and and relationships with Jesus Christ, we will suffer loss. But that's why God gives us his word. Because he says, I don't want you to be a steward of foolishness. I want you to be a steward of wisdom. The point here is this. There's a stewardship that leads to reward, and there's a stewardship that leads to nothing. A stewardship that leads to nothing. Now, in regards to our parable, with this steward and his foolishness, we don't know the exact reasons for the foolishness of the manager, but we can assume this. We can assume that things like this were happening within his life. Uh, He was lazy. He suffered from laziness. He, he, he wasn't motivated by the reality of what he was called to do. Many, many Christians suffer from laziness. They just fail to work hard. They're not motivated by the reality of eternity. There's nothing driving them to really go for the things that God says they should go for. We assume that this manager was selfish. He struggled from selfishness. He, he was not humble. Pride is such a killer of our stewardship because pride makes it about us. And the moment it's about us, it's not about Christ. If it's not about Christ, that's a stewardship of foolishness. We can assume that he was careless. He suffered from carelessness. He wasn't focused. He was distracted by the things around him. It took him off the path of what he was called to do. He seemed to be unaware of the reality that the owner would actually find out and come and call him to account of what he was supposed to be doing with the rich man's possessions. He seemed to be unaware. I'm telling you, there's so many Christians that are going through life and seemingly are just unaware, just kind of going through and parting through his life and, and totally oblivious to the passage we just read from 1 Corinthians 3 and the passage we're reading today to understand you will have to give an account. You and I will have to give an account. But believers are going, ah, it's no big deal. I'm loved. Jesus Christ loves me. It's okay. That's true in one sense. That's true in one sense. You're secure in Christ. But as we're learning, if you really know you've been saved by the gospel, you'll never sit around and just taking your time with your feet up and saying, oh, I'm good, I can do all I want because I'm good in Christ, I got my fire insurance. That's not the true believer. The true believer understands, I've been saved by Christ. I want to live for Christ and love Christ. I want to steward the time entrusted to me. I want to steward the treasure entrusted to me. I want to steward the talent entrusted to me. And that's the call for this right now, loved ones, which is so needed in our day, so needed in this nation, so needed in the church. I mean, church in this land, wake up. Wake up from your drunken stupor and understand why it is we live and who we live for. This is the opportunity, but too many people are living in foolishness, isolating themselves, and are such poor stewards of what's been given to them. God, save us from a stewardship of foolishness. And let's move on now to the Positive, point number two, a stewardship of wisdom. A stewardship of wisdom. This is where the parable gets really interesting. Verse three. And the manager said to himself, because he has to give an account and turn in his books, and he's like, oh no, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtor one by one, He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? Notice he's still pretending to be employed by the master, my master. And the guy says, 100 measures of oil. He says, reduce it to 50. He says to the other guy, how much do you owe? 100 measures of wheat. He says, reduce it to 80. And then it says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, the difficulty and at times the controversy within this parable is that this is one of two times that I know of where Jesus holds up an unrighteous example to support a righteous lesson. He seems to be here commending an unrighteous act to support the thrust of righteousness within his disciples' lives. The other 
incident I can think of this is Luke 18 and Lord willing. We'll get there within this series. The parable of the widow seeking to beat down the door of the unrighteous judge who seemingly is representing God in that text. That's the other example we see. But the immediate problem for most people in Luke 16 is that it appears that Jesus is again commending dishonesty. I just want to get this right out of the way right from the start so we can move on to truth that we really want to feed on. But a close look at the text, and that's so important always. So many people fail to actually read the text. They just get a thought and they run with it. But what does the text actually say? If you look at the text, Jesus is not commending, verse 8, Jesus is not commending the dishonesty. He's commending the shrewdness, the cleverness, the way that the manager was astute within his decision of what he was to do next. The commendation came from his decision of wisdom. Again, his cleverness. So Jesus is commending the man for his wisdom within his opportunity. And that's what's so key. If that becomes our focus, Jesus is commending his shrewdness. It simplifies greatly our passage. So what happens in verses 3 to 7 is that the manager realizes he's in trouble and he needs to act with wisdom and with urgency. Now, by the way, that thought would have helped in the first place, okay? A little point of application for us right now. Don't wait to lose your job to value wisdom, okay? Value wisdom now, young people, old people. Value wisdom now. Work ethic, perspective, heavenly vision, concentrating of eternity, the wisdom that God wants to give us, living in the word of God, knowing that you have one life. Don't wait for the crisis to hit to start applying the value of wisdom today. Some of us, we need to wait for the crisis to hit because we just refuse to accept what God is saying right now. We're just too thick and we won't hear it. We don't have to wait to lose our job, so to speak, to value the wisdom that God wants to, God wants to put in our lives right now. But this manager, this steward, he realizes, I can't do manual labor. He's like, I'm in trouble. I'm not, I'm not strong enough. Apparently, he's got too much self-respect to beg. So in verse 4, essentially, he says, I got it. I got it. I know what I'll do. So what he does, he devises a plan to feather his nest that will gain favor with his clients so that in the future, they will remember his kindness and they will help him as well. So he gathers the debtors, notice, one at a time, one by one, and he begins to reduce each debt by a significant amount. Now notice in verse 6, the manager says, sit down quickly and write. So there's, there's, there's a level of urgency within him. We don't know for sure why. Maybe he thought the owner would come in and catch him doing this. Uh, maybe there was an urgency. He just had to get his books in real soon ASAP to, to bring back the account to the manager. So, so he wants this to happen quickly. We're not sure, but we are sure about this. The debtors put up no fight at all. The debtors are like, 50% discount? I'm in. Now, now, would the debtors have known the manager was being dishonest? Probably not. Reducing debt in these days, when taking in factors of unfavorable weather and a, a decreased yield of crops then and so on, that would be understood. So there'd be times of grace because a person couldn't possibly pay back that which he has no ability to produce within his crops. And furthermore, we got to understand, as the, as the manager pulls up these debtors and he reduces their debt by 50% or 20%, and the value, by the way, the value of this debt being reduced would have probably been the first case three-year salary, and the second case, one-year salary, that's a significant amount, okay? So imagine the bank manager calling you up and saying, hey, I got some good news today. Uh, we're going to take the equivalent of three years of your salary and write it off your mortgage today. No questions asked. Are you up for that? Uh, yeah, I'm up for that. That's a day a celebration would begin. The villagers, when reducing their debt, they would be leaving in a very good mood. Honey, we're going for dinner tonight. It's a good day, all right? It's a good day. And that's what would have been happening. They would have probably started to celebrate and rejoice as this significant favor was brought upon them. Now, this is where the text tells us the master is very impressed. He's impressed with the brilliance of the manager. Just think about it. The manager has placed himself in a situation where he really cannot lose now. Because if the owner sees what's happening and he puts the loan back to where they were, his reputation is sunk among the people. Furthermore, because of what the steward did in this case, the rich man is now seen as generous, as kind, 
and as an incredibly gracious owner. R.T. Kendall shared a story that I wanted to share with you. He says, in the last century, Henry Ford went from Detroit, Michigan to Dublin, Ireland to trace his ancestry. It was a fact-finding mission. And a person who was a fundraiser for an old people's home went to Henry Ford while he was there and asked if he would contribute $1,000 to the old people's home. Henry Ford wrote out a check for $1,000, which was, of course, a lot of money at that time. And in the newspaper the next day, an article appeared saying that the great Henry Ford of America had contributed $50,000 to an old people's home. Now, the following day, the very shrewd fundraiser went to Henry Ford and said, Look, you can either give me another $49,000, or I will go to the newspaper and say, Oh, wait, there's a mistake. He only gave $1,000. So Henry Ford gave the other $49,000, but he did one on one condition. He said that a scripture model be placed over the door of the old people home. They agreed, and the model read, I was a stranger, and you took me in. Now, this story rings truth, again, of our story right here. Again, the point of our parable is not to commend the dishonesty of the manager. It's to commend his shrewdness. And really what this becomes is a stewardship of wisdom. And of course, loved ones, we are commanded to do the same. And this is where, for me, the parable really comes together. And from here and for the remainder of our message, I want to unpack for you three principles of stewardship that will change our lives. Three principles of stewardship. They will be behind me on the large screens for you to see. Principle number one is this, from this parable is this, I must make the most of my opportunity. I must make the most of the opportunity that God has given to me. And this, in essence, in this first principle, is biblical stewardship. It's realizing what you've been given by God and then make the most of it. Again, look at verses 8 and 9 now. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, and he says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, Jesus says, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. So these are very interesting verses, are they not? And let me help you with some clarity. In verse 8, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, worldly people are more clever or more shrewd in dealing with worldly matters than God's children are in dealing with matters of eternity or matters of salvation. What Jesus is really saying here, and what we need to say right now, if only the church pursued the treasure of God's kingdom the way the world pursues treasures on earth. If only believers took us seriously the call of the Great Commission, the way unbelievers take on the great deception. Think of the wisdom of business men and women in our day. Think of the effort they put in. Think of the strategy they go for. Think of the selling out of themselves in all to attain a greater level of success either in business or their private financial life and the power that they seek to hold, which all results in nothing the moment their life is done. Think of how shrewd they are in planning and preparing for their earthly future. This is the point Jesus is making. But the question is, what are the sons of light doing? How are we preparing for our heavenly future in the future that actually matters? You see, that's one of the bottom lines for this whole parable. This is the call to stewardship. How are we doing with that which is by far most important, the eternal things that God has entrusted to us, how are we doing with planning and preparing for the future that awaits us in Jesus Christ and our ability to do something with it right now? And then verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. What does that mean? Jesus now specifically turns to unrighteous wealth. What is unrighteous wealth? Unrighteous wealth is money and how we steward it. Money is unrighteous wealth when it's compared to true riches 
in verse 11. And verse 11 will make that very clear. One is earthly money. One is heavenly true riches. I believe that Jesus here refers to our understanding of money as unrighteous wealth too because money so often uh, sees itself in the form of evil and results in so many people loving it, worshiping it, and then moving forward in, in evil in the destruction of themselves and the world. It's so often what money does, it ruins people's lives. But pay attention here. Here's the opportunity. Our stewardship, this is amazing, but Jesus is saying here in verse 9, our stewardship of earthly money can actually contribute to heavenly parties. It says in verse 9, making friends. Making friends using unrighteous wealth means this. We have the ability right now with God's resources to take his money and use it for the gospel for eternal purposes. That's what he's saying there. We have the ability through what he's entrusted to us to take the funds that are his to use it for the gospel to be as generous as possible because the reality is as we support the gospel with money then lives are changed and what the text is telling us I believe this is what it's saying in some form or another as we place our stewardship for the gospel we will enter into heaven one day and there will literally be people who are there waiting for our revival for our revival and saying I can't believe believe it, the things that you use for the gospel were used to save my life and they will greet us and we will make our friends in heaven and see this amazing celebration and party going on because of what we use for the gospel, save their lives and we all join together and how great a day that will be. This is what this is saying within the text. That our call as stewards is to use unrighteous wealth money to make friends in the gospel that we might be received in eternal dwellings. You're reading the same Bible I'm reading. And this is the amazing truth of what's happening. The power and the opportunity of gospel giving, specifically here, loved ones, financially. When we contribute to the gospel, we are contributing to eternal dwellings. That is so exciting. So here's the point. Here's the point. Ready? Give. Here's the point of Jesus. Give. Be a good steward of the gospel. Here's the point. Ready? Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. If we fail, I mean, this is, again, one of the bottom lines for this text. It's so clear. If we fail to steward God's money, God's money, God's money, not yours, not mine, God's money in our lives, we're wasting our lives. Is that clear? It's so clear. We are, wa- we are wasting possessions. The foolishness of the steward in verses one and two. What Jesus says to you and I today, he's like, hey, listen, Don't waste your life. Steward what I have entrusted to you. I love the story that John Piper tells in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. It's on the back cover. And he tells the story of so many, these retired people in the 50s or 60s, whatever, and they save their whole life to get this place. They go down south, they're on a beach, they have a big boat, and they spend their days collecting seashells. And that's their idea of retirement for the next 20, 30 years of their lives. And he tells the story. They will have to stand before the Lord and they will have to say, look, Lord, my shells. Now think about that. Think about that. That impacts all of us when we hear that. And when you read that in that book, you're like, it's so true. How many people, all the commercials set it up for this, all the messages, save, 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 save for what? Save for what? For more of me? No thanks. No thanks. Last time I checked, I'm not too much into this. For more of of him. It's not wrong to save, but it's wrong to have your whole life oriented on you, this little kingdom that you're going to live out. And then you'll have to die and give an account. Don't waste your life. And God's saying to right here, right here, use resources for the gospel. Literally, when you walk into heaven, there'll be a party thrown for the glory of God, but you get to rejoice in because of the way that you have stewarded what God has entrusted you with, make the most of your opportunity. We must, we must, we must, we must. This is wisdom. This is what it means to steward God has given to us. Make the most of our opportunity. Here's a second principle. This is a huge one as well. I must faithfully steward earthly riches in order to be entrusted with true riches. Wow, really, really. Let me say that again. I must faithfully steward earthly riches to be entrusted with true or heavenly riches. You're like, where's that coming from? Verse 10. Verse 10 says, One who is faithful in very little 
is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Here's his point, verse 11. If you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, money, who will entrust you with the true riches, the blessings of heaven? Verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, God's, who will give you that which is your own, your blessing in the presence of the Lord as well? This is very, very important truth. What we learn here is this, loved ones. This text is amazing. We cannot separate the material from the spiritual. We cannot separate the material from the spiritual. We cannot separate them in this sense. How you deal with one indicates how you will deal with the other. That's why where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so listen to what Jesus is saying. This is, I've never preached this passage before. It, it hit me in new ways all week long. It's hitting me in new ways even now. It's mind-blowing. It's awesome. I love how clear he is. What Jesus is saying to us, the way you handle my money will be the way that you handle my kingdom. The way you treat the resources of this earth will indicate the way you treat the resources of the kingdom of heaven. And if you're not faithful with the one, loved ones, you won't be faithful with the other. And if you're not faithful with the one, Jesus says, you won't be entrusted with the other. That's amazing. That's convicting. But that's amazing. How we handle God's money in some form and in some way will determine blessing upon our lives and the things that we so long to see. How, I don't know exactly, but there's some connection here for sure. Verse 10, the context seems to mean the little is money, the much is spiritual riches. Then verse 11 is explained being so unrighteous wealth with true riches. Then verse 12 seems to explain, again, if we can't be trusted with that which is another's God's, then how can we be given our own, our own blessing and spiritual riches? Again, the undeniable connection, again, which amazes me because it's true. If we are unfaithful with God's money, then we can't be trusted with God's kingdom. In some form, in some way, that is true. And again, you're reading the same Bible I am, and that's what it's saying. Think of the implications of this truth. Think of the implications of the truth. If I'm unfaithful with God's money, can I be trusted with God's kingdom? Could it be, could it be right now that our lack of spiritual breakthrough is related to our lack of financial stewardship before the Lord? Could it be? Could it be? Could it be you've been longing for a spiritual breakthrough for years? It's never come. Could it be because you've never fully allowed your wallet to be converted to Jesus Christ? That's what the text is saying on some level. Could it be the lack of spiritual passion in your life, men, in your home, women, is related to the greed in your home? Could it be that your lack of spiritual passion for the things of the Lord, a hunger for Him, it's somehow related to the greed that exists within your home where really if it came down to it, you want the stuff more than you want Christ. Of course it's going to kill our passion for Jesus Christ. And could it be then that because our heart's not really for Christ, our heart's after money, then God's not entrusting us with a hunger and passion for Him because we in the end don't really say we want it. Could it be that my lack of spiritual leadership and the lack of the opportunity that I think I should have is related to my hypocrisy within my giving? Could it be? Could it be that my lack, some people want to be leaders for the Lord, but if you, if, if you, if you don't get the money thing down, you're not going to be used. You can't be, because it's too much a matter of the heart. And when I think through this stuff, man, I just say, wow, wow, wow. You don't think financial stewardship is a big deal to God? Think again. It is a massive deal to God. Now, now, let's be very, very careful right here, okay? This is not about, okay, I gotta give so I earn God's favor. That's not what we're talking about at all. Oh, if I give more, God will like me more. No, 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 no. What this is, it's an issue of the heart, Am I quenching God's spirit in my life because fundamentally money is an idol? 
fundamentally, I love the stuff of the earth. I love the car more. I love the home more. I love my clothes more. I love the vacation more than I love the word of God, the son of God, and the passion of God. See, see so it's not, hey, God, I'm going to give you more, so now you owe me. No, 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 no. It's I give more because my heart loves you. It's a response to the gospel. You hear that? This isn't religion. This isn't, I do this, God, you give me this. This is, because I know I've been saved in Jesus Christ, because the gospel is everything to me, because I know people are dying all over this world every single day and going to hell apart from Christ, because I've been given everything in him, now I open my hands and give back to the one who owns it all anyways because I love him so much. See the difference? It's not earning favor, it's responding in love to the love that I've received in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always an issue of the heart. A lack of financial giving and stewardship, it's always an issue of the heart. Because we're showing ourselves that we want this on earth more than we want him in heaven. But be clear here, more than financial stewardship, within this text, it's it's treasure, yes, but how am I stewarding my time? How am I stewarding my talent, my giftedness before the Lord? How am I stewarding this opportunity I have? How am I stewarding the influence that God has entrusted me with? Again, not earning favor with God, a response to the gospel. An incredible part of the gospel is what the Lord has entrusted to us. As we see the gospel, we understand God has entrusted us with his wealth. God has entrusted us with his time. Steward it. Steward it. God has entrusted us with his gospel. Huge part of this parable. We must steward the gospel. What are we doing with the gospel? And remember, being a steward means that we will have to give an account of what's been entrusted to us. Now, if you're like me, you'd be at this point of this message and there's conviction all over the room right now, which is good. But you're like, hey man, like, what do I do, Robbie? Yeah, I get the truth, but like, what are practical things I can begin to do to start taking steps of true stewardship of wisdom within my life? And that's where I'm glad you asked that question. Because I have five things on the screen here I want you to see of ways that you can leave this place right now tonight and you can sit down before the Lord and begin to ask yourself sincerely, God, how am I doing in stewardship of what you've entrusted to me? Here's the first thing I want you to see here. Ask the Lord to reveal your heart. That's the first step. you got to sit before the Lord, you and him, Maybe you and your spouse, you and a, a really close friend for accountability. If you want to do that, that's fantastic. But ask the Lord to reveal your heart. Take this passage. Take verses 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. And just let them, let them kind of bathe your soul in it and just ask, Lord, Lord, where am I? How am I really doing in this? Search my heart, God, and know me, David says. And ask him, say, Lord, am I, how am I stewarding my time, treasure, talent? Am I, am, I, am I foolish? I mean, some, some of you have the answer already. Where, where are the areas of wisdom? How can I ask the Lord to reveal your heart? Secondly, do this. Assess your stewardship specifically in terms of time, in terms of talent, in terms of treasure. Go through. Where is my money going? It's always a, an excellent indication of your heart is your time and your treasure and you know, I always say, you give me your bank statements and give me your calendar and I'll know a lot about you right away. And you would know a lot about me as well. How we spend our time and how we spend our thoughts and how we spend God's money. It says a lot really about what we care about. Assess your stewardship and saying, how am I, am I wasting my time? Like what am I really spending time on? Am I wasting it? How am I spending your money, God? Am I, am I wasting? Am I just going spending stuff for now? Do you pray about what you spend? If you consider this, if you sat down, if you actually asked the Lord what he would want to do with that, how are my giftedness being used? Am I serving the Lord? Again, if you get to the end of this life and you stand before Jesus Christ and you're like, well, Lord, I know you gave me a spiritual gift because every believer has a spiritual gift, at least one. Most of us have more than one. And you're like, well, I just didn't really feel like it. Are you going to say it? Are you going to say it like that to him? Oh, I just didn't feel like it. No offense, God, but you know, I know you gave me this, but I, just, I was just too busy. I want to do my own thing. I had too many soccer games with the kids. Hockey took over, man. I had to go see too many movies. I was just vacating. I didn't have any time yet. Really? Really? 
That's going to happen, remember? 1 Corinthians 3. It's going to happen. I have to give an account. Don't waste your stewardship. You know, sometimes too, I want to, I thought about this this week. We waste so much time on such dumb things. We waste so much emotion on fighting with each other, being envious of one another, in competition with each other, of rivalries with each other, of being bitter at one another, of not forgiving each other. We think of all this emotional energy that we spend wasting our time and emotions. That's poor stewardship. That's such poor stewardship. Don't waste your time being jealous of people. Spend your time loving the Lord Jesus Christ. Assess your stewardship. Here's the next thing. Admit your sin. So that's massive because if you ask and you assess and you see, I had to do that this week. I'm doing that right now. Seeing sin in my life and saying, man, that's a waste of time. Admit your sin because we learn about repentance. It, It ushers in love and brokenness. Here's the fourth thing. Do this. Agree to his will. So ask, assess, admit, and now agree that God's will. Don't argue. Well, you can, but I don't. Don't argue with the passage tonight. Say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. Agree, your will is right. Agree, you will have to give an account. Agree, in a second, you can't serve both God and money. Agree to his will, and your truth is right. And then lastly this, anticipate Anticipate blessing. Loved ones, if you do these things, if you sit down before the Lord and you write stuff out, I think journals, journal, write it out, share it again with someone, anticipate blessing, it's coming. It is, it is absolutely coming. That's what God promises. He promises true riches will come into the life of those who trust him in this way. Again, here's the, here's the principle that we're learning. I must faithfully steward earthly riches to be entrusted with true riches. And then here's the principle that settles it all. Here's our third and final principle. It's this. I cannot serve God in money. Here's a principle of stewardship. I mean, write it down, note on your heart, make sure you see it in God's word. I cannot serve God and money. Verse 13, if Jesus hasn't been clear enough, look what he says. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Here he goes. You cannot serve God and money. Notice how conclusive Jesus' statement is. No servant can serve two masters. You say, no, 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 I can, man. I'm doing it right now. No, no, you're not. You're deceived. This is where really you can't have one foot in the world and one foot for Jesus Christ. The reality is if you're in the world, it's all in for the world, man. And you got some stuff going on for Jesus' lip service, but the heart and reality, you cannot serve both God and money. No one can serve two masters. It's right in the text. No one can serve both God and money. You're like, well, I think I'm pretty good at it. No, again, you've deceived yourself. It's one or the other. Wearsby, Warren Wearsby says this, if God is our master, then money becomes our servant. And if money is our servant, our resources are directed as God indicates. But if God is not our master, then we become servants of money, and the love of money is a horrible master. So this is when instead of stewarding our lives, we end up wasting our lives Loved ones, let's not waste our lives. If we want to be faithful stewards of the Lord, we have to decide right now, what's it, what's it going to be? Because Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. Okay, make, make sure we see that and hear that. We cannot serve God and money. So what's it going to be? I mean, really, really, though, really, what's it going to be? Is it going to be, is it going to be Jesus or, or jewelry? Is it going to be the Messiah or money? Is it going to be Christ or cash? Because we can't serve both. The question really is, how much is the gospel worth to us? Remember the rich young ruler? Jesus says, go, I'll sell your possessions. Why? Why? Because he knew where his heart wasn't. It wasn't for him fully. And the rich young ruler went away sad because at the end of the day, he chose his wealth over the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve two masters. Jesus really asks us today, he says, what's it gonna be? Verse 13, one, one more time, the authority of God's word over our hearts today. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, okay? Now, again, there's a lot of conviction in the room, but let's, let's take a moment to apply the gospel right now. 
What is the gospel? Jesus died for your sins. Do you like me? You have sins you need to confess as a result of this text. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven when you truly repent of these sins. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead that you and I might have new life. Jesus lives that we might now live for him. The gospel says because of this truth, now I take all my eggs and put it in the basket of Jesus Christ. The gospel says this as well, loved ones, no matter what you've done yesterday or last week or last month or the whole previous part of your life, today can be a new day. That's the power of the gospel. The gospel right now, you are forgiven in Jesus Christ. He loves you. That's why he brings messages like this to your life because now he wants your heart again. And in love, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. So the gospel says, today's a new day. I'm forgiven in Jesus Christ. He loves me so much. He calls me to himself again. I will not suffer in guilt right now. No, 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 no. Get away, Satan. I'm not suffering guilt, but I do embrace the conviction. And I say, Lord, turn this conviction into a resolve now to live for you wholeheartedly because I don't want to serve money. I want to serve God. And I want to love Jesus Christ. Do you see how important this is? Can you see why Jesus keeps saying these things to us? Because really when it comes down to it, where your treasure is, that's where you'll find your heart. We need to pray. Let's pray. Just ask you to bow your heads right now and I was kind of asking the Lord what to do, even as I know this message is hitting so many people at the core, because that's just what it does. It's going back and forth, whether to give you a chance to respond in, in some distinct way, but I don't think that's necessary today. But, but I, do, I do ask you, these are the moments, these are things that the Lord uses, that these are moments where where you are right now, okay, you know the issues. You before the Lord, you know the heart. You, you know where it is and isn't. And if you're wise right now, and if I'm wise right now, you're, you're hearing this message and this passage, and you're like, God, I can't keep going in the direction that I am. There's too much at stake. Life is too short. And you are begging God right now because of the gospel, God, would you free me from the bondage of the love of money? Would you set me free from the bondage of I need another item in my car and another thing in my house. I need another better vacation. I, just, I need more. I mean, all that stuff. It's just in the end, it doesn't have any value. It's just a lie. They're not wrong in themselves, but they are if that's what you want. And let's be honest, many of us right now, we just gotta say, Lord, my heart's, it's, it's been sick. My heart's been suffering from a disease. Please cleanse it. Cleanse it, Lord. And that's you today. You say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Renew me today. Renew me. Convince me that I can't serve God in money. Convince me, Lord, that my resolve today is to be a steward for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You call it to God and you say, God, by your grace, O oh Lord, make me a steward. Make me a steward of your glory. Again, today's a new day, loved ones. It's, it's a new day. Do you believe that prayer? I do. I do. I believe that prayer. By your grace today, Lord, make me a steward of your glory. And for the remaining days that you and I have, wow, loved ones, if there's ever a time for the gospel that's needed, it's now. It's now. And that's what we're to be stewards of. So God, help us to do that. Receive his grace. Receive his love. But receive his challenge too, that he becomes our all. He becomes our vision. He becomes our everything. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.